I'm Zoraida Cordova, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host. She's not a Jedi, so she will whoop your behind in an underground space brawl. It's Lindsay. Can you say that five times fast? No, I cannot. And you are a mean, (laughs) mean person. (laughs) Just observing. Just observing. Brandon does not do tongue twisters. Sally sold seashells by the seashore. See how hard that is for me? You wrote this one. No one forced you to do it. Yes, I know. I know. But I don't actually like read them out loud before I do them. I just go, oh, Mm, it'll be funny. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, But... The, uh, the intro is apropos because today we are going to be talking about Zoraida Cordova's second entry into the Star Wars canon and first entry into the High Republic, which is the book Convergence. So really excited to talk about that today. Uh, finally getting to sit down. It's been a while, Lindsay. How have you been since uh, we last recorded? I've, I've been good. As you know, personally, quite a bit going on um, just between my partner's health problems and, and all of that. And plus the puppy and then the puppy got getting neutered. So it's been a wild, wild, wild. Now it'll be two months, um, actually two months on Wednesday of all of this going on, but adjusting to the craziness. Yeah, we we tend to get used to it pretty quickly. Don't you you ever notice that? Like you just all of a sudden you're like I don't remember what it was like without the chaos. Yes. Yeah, and like it's it's shocking cuz I feel like I shouldn't be so used to it, but here we are and and I feel like I've healthily adjusted. But hopefully it won't have to be for long and I can just go back to the old normal pretty soon. Uh, the idea of the old normal, how mm-hmm. how much it tempts us. During that time, while we were uh, out and and uh, we were putting out content other than Don't Burn the Sacred Text, we had a fundraiser going on. So I just wanted to send an update uh, about that. We were able to raise over $1,200, uh, which is huge. Um, so we are working uh, with schools to get books into the hands of teachers. And Mark and I are also working on projects with uh, some libraries, to uh, battle against uh, banning of books and things of that nature because it is quite literally the Wild West uh, out here. And so we're trying to do something about that and make sure that kids have access to books. So to everybody who donated or tweeted or retweeted or whatever you did to share the fundraiser, just a big thank you to you guys. Yeah, and it's so weird. And this is maybe something that we should talk about after or even put on the uh, Patreon page. Um but it's it's so interesting to hear about the whole book banning and, and library situation. Just because where I am in the country up in the Northeast, I feel like we don't really see that firsthand. So it's always so interesting to get yours and Mark's and Drew's perspective being around the country and just hearing what is going on and why it's so important. So I feel like we should uh, schedule some time to really talk about some of those issues that we're trying to help out with and overcome yeah absolutely it's a it's a weird world fortunately it hasn't touched uh you know where i'm at quite yet um in terms of a banning of books and clearing out whole libraries and stuff like that but it really is some dark ages type stuff that's just absolutely insane and uh so you know, if anything, uh, Star Wars taught us to rebel, and we are going to rebel by getting books into the hands of kids. So, uh, speaking of books, let's get into the book we're talking about today, which is Convergence. And before we do that, we always do a rating before we start talking about it, and then a rating after we talk about it to see if there's any change in our opinion. So, Lindsay, I'm going to let you go first on this one. This one, I, I've been dreading this because I know I'm going to sound like an idiot. 
This is like one of those books that I really wish we did out of 10, just because three out of five seems too low, but four out of five seems a little too high. I'm going to conservatively keep my three out of five, though. And if it ends up being four out of five, great. Maybe even five out of five. Great. But I'm going to I'm going to conservatively give it three out of five. What about you? All right. So it's funny that you said like you wish it was out of 10 because I usually try not to do halves uh, at all because I feel like it kind of gets rid of the challenge of making a decision like you had to make. But I'm breaking my own rule on this one um, because this one is just squarely in the middle for me right now. So it gets a 2.5. Um, the things it does well, like the symbolism and conveying ideas and stuff, uh, very clearly, uh, themes that it's trying to present, I think it does really well, but I also feel like it doesn't do anything spectacularly, and I wasn't super invested in the plot in and of itself. Um, so I have kind of been the dissenting opinion in this. Everybody else is, uh, liking this book a lot more than me, and that's not to say that it's not a great book, like... It's still, when I'm rating books, I'm rating them in comparison to other Star Wars books to have a little context. And so this one was just, it was mid-tier for me, um, but I love Zoraida Cordova, and so I'm hoping you change my my mind on that. It's funny because, and and I kind of giggled as you were giving your explanation, because you gave it a two and a half for the reason I really struggled, too. And I'm surprised you didn't go higher because I agree that the stuff it did well, it did really well in terms of the symbolism and and that deeper message and all that. I think it did it really well, which is why I'm surprised to hear that because that's where it strikes where you only give it a two out of five, just because, or two, two point five out of five. Um, Just because I feel like that's really in your wheelhouse with, what you like so much about Star Wars. So I'm surprised that all of the reasons you just listed for you specifically didn't have you leaning a little bit higher. Well, I think in order for the symbolism and everything to be as impactful as it can be, you have to be invested in the characters and in the plot. And I wasn't blown away with any of these characters. I didn't dislike any of them, Mm. but... I read books and I either want them to make me love a character I didn't care about before, uh, or I shouldn't say didn't care about before, but wasn't super invested in before, like Rebel Rising does for Jin. Like that book got me all in on her. Um, this one created new characters, and when I when we're creating new characters, I want something like Inferno Squad that's gonna, or even Alphabet Squadron that's yeah. gonna get me caring about this brand new character and not being able to imagine my Star Wars fandom without them. And I just don't know if that applies here, which it, I mean, when I was reading the book, like I was picking up all the symbolism and everything, but I felt like the middle portion really drug itself out. I feel like this should have been a 280 to 300 page book rather than a 340, 350, whatever it ended up being. Yes. Because yes, I feel like a lot of the middle ground felt as though it was trying to meet a page count rather than Mm -hmm. trying to tell the necessary story. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's, it's so funny because how often do we sit there and talk about young adult novels and how they're so mature and they're really, you know, centered more for adults and don't sleep on the young adult novels. And I was reading this and it's a quote unquote adult novel. And I was like, this would have been so much better as a young adult. It really would have. Yeah. Yeah. Just because even things like, to your point, trying to make the page count, it's like, (laughs) just, just make it bigger font, make the spacing bigger because yeah, there seemed to be a lot of noise and I'll, I'll say it. I think we're, we're beating around the bush. Parts of it are kind of boring because of it. I felt like for the first time in a long time, I was reading a Star Wars book where I could be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to just put this down and go to the bathroom or I'm going to put this down to make dinner. And I wasn't sitting there like rushing to get back to it. Yeah. And, and I was 
reading it both digitally and in the hardcover. And so I was having to like, you know, each day catch up on one or the other to, to get them to be at the same spot. And there was a lot of points where I'm like, I feel like I've read these words, but I can't remember what happened. Uh, and, and I think that kind of is when you drag it out, it, it hurts the investment in it. And it's kind of, it's similar to, uh, rising storm you know everybody loves rising storm and i mentioned for me that 150 page battle is like 140 pages too long like mm-hmm. it just is overbearing and when you're reading it over a long span of time i don't feel like you really get the feel of how rapidly everything is happening and i think that happened for me here i think that your idea of it being a young adult novel is like top tier one because We've seen what Zoraida Cordova can do with a young adult novel. Crash of Fate was uh, such a fun book to just sit back and read. Um, And that is kind of her wheelhouse. So I have respect, you know, for her obviously pushing outside of her her normal bounds and everything like that, but still bringing in the the things that she does well. I think, uh, you know, her ability to construct stories and and identify themes and stuff is very clearly present here. Uh, But... And we could be totally wrong. Maybe she wanted to write this long of a book, but there's a lot of it that just feels like, okay, so we have to have another 20 pages in here. Let's add another little like side quest in order to make that happen instead of making it really tight and focusing purely on the characters. I think this book's major problem is that it tries to focus on the plot instead of just leaning into the characters, which is what Zoraida Cordova, to me, does really well, is developing characters. And these characters got hurt because of that. It's even more interesting because there are some other similarities between this and Crash of Fate. Um, And admittedly, I was not that big of a Crash of Fate fan. Um, I I didn't hate it by any means, but I certainly didn't love it and grab onto it the way I have other stories especially stories around that time um just wasn't totally for me and it had other stuff to do like yes was it just a marketing for um galaxy's edge sure but that's you know we already did our episode on on crash of fate but the similarities here i think bring out what did work in convergence i personally really liked having a very isolated story we'll say because so much of high republic has been these monumental things that impact every single person in the galaxy but i kind of like being able to be like hey look what's just happening in this one little area you know it's not the biggest thing in the world but what's happening on this one in this case two planets and and really how can we dive into that to explore some of the themes of star wars i personally and and i think there was a lot of people out there who disagree with this especially for the high republic but i liked having a little bit of isolation and a little bit of time to discover different a very specific different place in a very specific situation. And I think that that isolation really helped to bring out some of the themes of this story in a really digestible way. So I do think that there are a lot of highlights and that's why I'm more in the three and a half, just because the stuff that is done in my opinion is important. Yeah, I agree that the intimate stories always work better. Like, if you think about Star Wars, a lot of times it fails when it tries to get too grand, which seems preposterous to say when you're talking about, like, a movie series that started around a galactic civil war. But the moments of the original trilogy that really last, and the reason why Empire is so high on everybody's list is because it's so tight and compact and into the narrative of these characters, right? Like, it always blows my mind when people are like, oh, they weren't in the original trilogy, so they can't, you know, be alive or whatever. Have you watched the original trilogy? Do you realize how really small the scope is? Like, we're really tight with these few particular characters. There's a ton of stuff that could be going on outside of this. And this book uh, did a good job of having that really focused feel on the story that it was telling. And I'm not sure if you've listened to Battle of Jeddah or not, but 
they're a good they're interconnected stories and it's a good contrast because that story is an intimate setting that has a very large impact on the galactic scope and it all starts kind of from this little thing that happens in convergence so this is almost like and this is a compliment to be for any new listeners. It's like the Phantom Menace of the prequels, where it's like this little <laughs> story that's setting up things and uh, really pushing, okay, this is the kind of story that we're going to tell in this era of the High Republic are these smaller stories that are going to have a big galactic impact. And this one doesn't have as big of one as like Battle of Jeddah or Path of Deceit, but it does still have that galactic impact that we see when we look over the scope of what they're doing with this era of the High Republic. But personally, and this is another conversation entirely, but I am almost liking this era, this part of the High Republic, more than the original part of the High Republic because it is so tight and intimate into the characters it's telling the stories about. Oh, I completely agree with that point. Um, I said when we were doing uh, Path of Deceit as well, like, it's just kind of more my style and more my speed. And it is not to take anything away from Phase 1. It's just that Phase 2, I think, is better suited to what I like in a story. And this one did it well. Just, yeah, to your point, like, I didn't really feel super connected and hyped up about any particular character and i wasn't sitting there necessarily connecting to any particular character it was just like hey look this is a good story no one here really annoys me um (laughs) but even even, there, there was no there was no wow this character is everything to me whether antagonist protagonist whatever it is no one who really jumped out of the page and made me so excited where I was like, I got to get more stories with this person. And it's something where we, we used to do a lot before this actually was possible. Do you remember years and years and years ago, we used to finish our book set book ratings with, if you could see this character in another medium, what would it be? And we would, decide you know live action animated comic book movie whatever it is the only thing now is we can't really do it because we get all of that yeah right you know like we we can't really sit here and be like oh man i want to see them in a comic book because guess what there's a comic book with them already um but it it wasn't like if we were to bring that back where i would sit here so excited and passionately defend why i think i need this character or these stories in other mediums. Um, but some of the, some of the, com- the, the themes and conflicts I think are important and things that we don't typically go through in star Wars, right? We go through so much of here's right, here's wrong, here's good, here's bad, but we don't really get so much into the why and to have this story really centered around, hey, do we have this conflict or is this a generational conflict? Like, could we maybe end this or does this actually have to be the way it is? I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, and then even to have the thought of like, where's my home, right? Where do I belong? I think it was really cool to see it from a Jedi point of view and to think, yeah, you know what, they're still for lack of better terminology, human beings or sentient beings. And they're going to have these emotions and they're going to need the same basic needs that we all do. So some of the themes I thought were really good. It's just that the conflict kind of didn't match up to it in terms of the speed and the pace behind it. Yeah. I want to hone in on, on that theme that you talked about of home because I think the three major themes that stood out to me are kind of deconstructing your identity, how cultures are built, Mm -hmm. and the idea of home and how it's different for everybody. And there's a quote, particularly focusing on the Jedi, uh, and it says, don't you miss your home? Gela blinked at the question. The concept of home is not the same for me as it is for you. I suppose your temple is home. Yes, though sometimes we're assigned to different temples on different systems, and sometimes, like now, we live aboard a ship. 
Strange, Captain Albron said wistfully. You fight to save so many homes for so many beings, yet you have none of your own. It's not that simple for Jedi. Yellow turned to the wall and turned to flickering landscapes on the far wall. Like, just that idea of, okay, what is your home? And that's something I think that when we look at the Jedi in the grand scope of things and really particularly in the Clone Wars and their fall, can they really understand the impact of something like the Clone Wars on the regular person or this forever war on the regular person when they don't have a concept of what a home is? Can you really understand on on a real human level what it's like to fight for your home if you don't have one? I thought that was a really interesting uh, perspective to think about. Yeah, and that that quote specifically kind of goes into the ever-classic, why did the Republic and why did the Jedi fall? And maybe it is because you're sending out these galactic defenders to keep the peace for something that they don't fully understand. You know, so can you really well and passionately defend people's homes and rights to a home and defend this peace that you don't actually know yourself? and still be truly successful in the long term. Anakin is a good example of the impact of a home because Mm. he had a home both physically being at home with Shmi and later in a person with Padme. To me, those are the two definitions of home is, is a place you belong and a person you belong with or a group of people you belong with. And Anakin had both of those. And so this Jedi order that had constructed an idea that home is not a thing that Jedi get, whether, you know, that's something they did intentionally or not by having them traveling all the time and, uh, only really being bound to a temple, but being told not to be bound to the temple, they kind of lose the idea of what home is. And when you don't have a home, you don't have a culture, you don't have a people, you don't have a place where you belong. And I think that's something that as the Jedi are, forming their individual identities that they kind of have to deconstruct and figure out before they can figure out kind of what's my mission, what's my real place in the galaxy, which is something that Gela is doing throughout the book. You know, that's kind of her her arc is figuring out what her home is and having the confidence to say this is the path that I'm supposed to follow, not because of what someone else did or whatever, but because this is it. it works with my understanding of how the galaxy works and how I work as an individual. Yeah, no, you're right. But, and, and this kind of goes back to our other point of the characters weren't really there. I just wish it was a character that I really enjoyed more than Gela to be the one to do this, because then I think it all would have been hammered home a lot more. And it sucks because I don't specifically know what it is that she's missing because I don't think it's that she does anything to make me feel less connected. I think it's what, what she's lacking, that something just isn't fully there and clicking with me. So I don't know if you have any more insight or can maybe change my mind as to why she might be a great character and I'm just missing it. No, I don't I don't think I have anything to change your mind on that. <laughs> I think... Like, for example, when I was listening to Battle of Jeddah, which we'll get into in another episode in detail, but she does show up at a certain point, and I was like, oh, okay, she's here, you know? And it's like, she, to me, she doesn't have any traits that make her unique and special and stand out and that I look up to or want to imitate, nor does she have any, I guess we'll say negative uh, traits that... I want to try to avoid or Mm. that I see in myself that I'm trying to learn from. And that's kind of something that I look for in characters. Like the one I always go to is obviously Aiden Versio because it seems like her, uh, you know, arc is her going from the empire to the rebellion, which is just like another turn, you know, redemption thing that we've had a, a million times. So like what makes her special, but what makes her special is the fact that, her moral compass didn't change. It just started pointing in the right direction. And that is something that as I, you know, it was deconstructing my own identity and figuring out who I was becoming that really made an impact on me. 
And that's the kind of thing that I look for in characters. And, and she just didn't have that in here. Um, and so not that I, you know, wished she was going to die or anything like that. But with High Republic having so many Jedi dying, there was no point when I was like, man, I really would hate to lose her. Mm, that's a really good observation, though. She seems like a very plain, kind of like cookie-cutter character. Nothing really made her stand out. And I don't even think it's the case here, but it could be a little bit of... Maybe it's in oversaturation, right? We had so many new Jedi introduced to us in Phase 1 that we kind of got everything across the board. You know, we had a little bit of everything. So what's really left in terms of here's the kind of Jedi that we haven't seen yet. Here's the character that we're missing that we still need. Yeah, no, I think that's 100% right. I mean, and that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that I have said again and again on here is part of the issue with High Republic is having too many Jedi. And at some point, it's kind of like the redemption stories. Okay, how do you do a new redemption story? We've done so many of them. And it's not that redemption stories are bad. I love them. They're Star Wars. But how are we going to do it in a new way? That's not impossible, but it is a challenge. And I think that's kind of where we got caught here is none of these Jedi really do anything new or unique to kind of push the Jedi Order uh, in a new direction, challenge us in terms of what we think about the Jedi Order or individual Jedi uh, or anything like that. But let's yeah. let's go on to another theme that kind of stood out to me, and that's kind of how cultures are built. Uh, yes. I was really hoping that's what you were going to say because I was going to try and redirect it there too. And then when you were like, oh, let's move on, I was like, but I want to talk about culture. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's important. And <laughs> There's one part in particular that really stood out to me, and it's when they're talking about Irem and Erino having their myths, but Coruscant doesn't have myths. It's at the heart of the galaxy, but it doesn't have myths. When we know, just, you know, look, this is Star Wars. We could talk Joseph Campbell, or we could just talk, like, observations about how we, you know, convey the morals of our society. Cultures survive through their myths. And myths are central to creating a culture. The stories are the foundation of the systems. Thus, if we're devoid of that, we have no true moral compass. So you have Coruscant, the heart of the Republic, that doesn't have myths. Uh, You have Irem and Erino out on the outskirts fighting in a war that does have myth. They're fighting for the survival of their culture. And the Jedi have this myth of a Jedi walking a path among the stars, but leaving the path to help those in need. So the Jedi have a myth that they don't even really understand. That's something that Gela talks about is like not really understanding that myth. And that lack of understanding that myth creates an overdependence on codes and rules and rigidity because you don't, really have a moral compass this is not to say that the jedi are immoral but they don't have a real focus of that morality and how does that look practically in the world they have ideas of peacekeepers okay how does that look because here in the high republic it looks very different than it looked in the clone wars but you're both calling yourselves peacekeepers you know and that just really 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 hit for me it's a different take on it, too, or at least I'll have a different take on it, um, because it's it's kind of a, hey, look, is this for the good, right? I think so often we talk about how culture really, really helps shape certain things and people, and in this point, it should be a good thing that these other planets have these myths and have these beliefs that they're trying so hard to protect, but I'm always brought back to, uh, there's a line from a song, um, goodness gracious, I can't remember the name of it or who sings it now, but it's on the soundtrack to the first Hunger Games movie. Um, But the line of the song is specifically, God hates flags. And that's kind of what resonates for me here, where it's like, look at the Crusades, right? Is it really a good thing to be defending your own belief system and your own set of myths? Um, Because, yeah, for us, it's religion. For other people, it's myths. 
So is it really a good thing to be defending those beliefs to the point where you're trapped in this forever war? And maybe Coruscant isn't necessarily, you know, the root of all evil because they don't have those myths. I think the lack of myths, uh, universal myths, kind of does harm Coruscant because there's nothing grounding it that links it to the similarities of other cultures. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, to me... Coruscant, Coruscant is kind of like the America where it's it's a melting pot, right? But here mm-hmm. we have common myths, whether those be across our religions or even just culturally, you know, Star Wars, Marvel, like these are our modern myths that we have Harry Potter that are, are, you know, not uniquely American, but they do bind large swaths of people together. And Coruscant lacking that to me is a little bit of a clue of they're they don't have a set of moral codes that they live by which of course we see in the prequels like that they they defend these ideas and they fight for these ideas of the republic because it stood for a thousand years not because they believe in it you have characters like padme who believe in and have a set of uh morals they attach to the republic bail but on the the large view of the Republic, they don't really have a, this is what we believe in. And that stops, uh, or that, excuse me, that allows for Palpatine to be able to come to power. Whereas if you look at Irem and Erno, you start to see as you're going through the book, these similar customs and cultures, particularly with the remembrance of the dead. And so you have these two cultures that think they're so radically different, but they're able to find something even beyond, you know, these two these two uh, characters that are going to be betrothed, even beyond that, into the actual core of who they are and the remembrance of the dead, they have this link and this connection to each other that the Jedi and the Republic are not going to be able to form in that same kind of way that can prevent conflict and create understanding. Yeah, that's... I. <laughs> I feel like that's what they were trying to get at. But for me, it kind of took the opposite where it was like, you know, I don't want to repeat myself, but I really do feel like it really did lean more towards the, this isn't always a good thing. Um, But regardless of how it turned out and what the message was, I do think it was really cool to actually get to see the impacts of the culture. Because when you think about Star Wars stories, Culture is something, yeah, we see on Tatooine time and time again. But we didn't fully understand the implications of it until Phantom Menace. Um, we see it in Rise of Skywalker, right? And, and we see little snippets of certain cultures and why it might be interesting or even, even think of uh, the Moon of Endor, right? We see cultures, but we don't have the implications and the consequences of what strongly aligning yourself to a given culture does. And even in ideology, um, this is something that we really are starting to dive into more and more in phase two between path of deceit, which really shows, Hey, look, if you get hooked up on this ideology, here's what can happen. This is that culture, right? You align yourself too strongly with a certain culture. Here's what can happen. And I think that's part of why I like phase two more isn't just because it's more granular, but because the themes are so philosophical and introspective and interesting to me. Yeah, I, I'm right with you there. Like I, I like these, I like these questions that have no answers, not just because it gives us more like content to talk about, but because it really does challenge us to think about the way that we understand star Wars and stories and everything like that. And, you know, you talked about kind of how cultures can either unite or divide us apart. And um, I think that's kind of a, a central element of this story is are our cultural differences going to divide us too far or are our cultural similarities going to be able to unite us so that we can have discussions about our differences? And there's two particular parts that kind of were rebirth moments for me um, for Fantu and Ziri. 
And there's one where uh, Ziri knows the sailor's lament uh, and Fantu doesn't. And Fantu's, you know, from from there and doesn't know the sailor's lament, but Ziri, who's from uh, the other planet, uh, does know it. And then later in the book, you have when the Thylefire... I think it's Thylefire. Scorpions cling to Fantu to save him from the pit he fell into is his rebirth into the Arano culture. And so you both visually, and this is what I think Zoraida Cordova did really well. She paints these beautiful pictures that show the symbolism of these two leaders of society being willing and open to exploring each other's cultures. You've got one in Ziri that has already done so before. And I personally think to, you know, what Ahsoka said of in order to defeat your enemy, you have to understand them. I imagine Ziri is off studying uh, Iram's history and cultures in order to try to find a fault line. And it turns out that that's actually something that helps unite her with that culture. And Fantu, who had was kind of more on the timid side, was more, uh, we need to just separate ourselves from this war entirely, gets consumed by these scorpions that represent the strength of Arano, uh to to save his life. And it's almost like Arano is accepting him in. Uh, I thought those were two just beautiful examples of how Zoraida Cordova conveys those ideas, both symbolically, but just kind of, philosophically about what the point she's trying to make you know her talents to me are best spent in books um oh goodness what's the name of the oh like books like dark legends where it's these Mm. shorter stories where you really can get into a lot of that symbolism and a lot of maybe this isn't really what happened but here's how because yeah she writes things like that beautifully I personally wish she wrote characters more like that. Um, You know, and and going back to Crash of Fate, that was a big piece for me was I understood Black Spire. I understood the location and the heart and the the group so well. Didn't really connect with the characters. Um, I think she really does have certain strengths and scenes like that are her particular writing strengths. I just wish we got to see it a little bit more um, in other areas. But overall, yeah, I love the the messaging behind that. And it's just such a cool concept to me. And this is why I kind of struggle and why I want to give it more of a four out of five. But I just I can't. I know in my heart this book is a three out of five at best. Um, but I want to give it a four out of five because that is a cool concept, right? To have these two worlds and, and these different people and who's accepted where. And it really, I think, ties in the two themes of culture and home and finding your own home so beautifully. Like that that juxtaposition right there is everything. Um, but it's such a forgettable book in my mind. And I think that this book is going to be kind of a piece of trivia when years later, we're trying to remember all the books that were in phase two of the high Republic. And we're like, Oh, what was that one? What was that one? And this is going to be that. Oh, what was that one? What was that one? Because yeah, scenes like that are beautiful and messages like that are fantastic. It's just, it wasn't done with enough to really make that lasting impact. Which goes to what I was saying earlier about if you don't have the characters and even the plot yeah. to back it up. You know, and it, I think this book kind of got hurt by Path of Deceit coming out first for a couple of reasons. One, for you and I in particular, we have just been praising the YA genre in uh, in Star Wars since, like, the Disney canon started. Like, those are our mm-hmm. greatest hits album would be mostly YA novels. Um, and so having another YA novel that hit so well just reinforced that idea. And then having a YA author, that's limiting, a, a, an author who who is prominent as a YA author, writing a book that feels like it should be YA kind of hurts this book uh, pretty significantly. It's tough because not only did it come out on the heels of Path of Deceit, for me, it's the other book books and things also happening in Star Wars. Like, admittedly, I'm not a big Bad Batch person. 
I know other people <laughs> feel passionately about it though. I know, I know. I've been meaning to to talk to you and see what I'm missing. Um, but another conversation for another time. But when you look at what else we've re- recently gotten in terms of Padawan and Shadow of the Sith and Bad Batch and Mandalorian comes out in in less than 48 hours of recording this and we're getting more information about Jedi Survivor and, and celebrations right around the corner and it's there's so much hype and so much positivity which is amazing to be part of but because of this it's not like in phase one where phase one was really the thing that was happening this book is not the thing that it's happening which is why i think it's harder to really grasp onto because it's it's a little distracting right to sit there and read things and at the time of reading this um jedi survivor was just around the corner right and you know i was so and i still am so hyped for that but i was reading this and at the time, it was like just a few more weeks, a few more weeks of Jedi Survivor. Of course, they've now pushed that back. Um, but at the time, like that was that was where my mind was, right? And that's where my head was. And it's hard to keep your eyes on the road sometimes. And this was one of those times. Well, I think part of the reason for that is that this, to me, is a setup book. Again, going back to the Phantom Menace analogy, yeah. this is setting up ideas that are going to get pushed forward in uh phase one of, or excuse me phase two of the high republic and maybe even when we go back to you know whatever phase three becomes which we're all surmising is going to be going back to the uh original characters of phase one but all of these characters well for the most part i don't want to say something as absolute as all because only the sith speak in absolutes uh, <laughs> but the majority of these characters are all facing similar problems you know you have gela uh who is facing a similar problem as marta in path of deceit of you know how do i fit into this i structure with around this idea that i believe in and gela has to actually leave and become a way seeker so that she can reconnect with the force as if the order proper is a hindrance rather than a support for that and we're kind of hoping Marta will end up going the same way of like, you've got good ideas, kid, but you're using them in the wrong way. And when will you realize it? You have, you know, these characters uh, like Fantu and Axel who are, uh, and even Ziri to, to some extent, who are struggling with the generational uh, issues that you talked about earlier. You have these ideas of culture and home that are repeated so many times over in this book. And I, one thing I will say that this book did beautifully is I think it conveyed its ideas and themes without bashing you over the head with them. I never was reading it and went, oh, yeah, now they're bringing up culture again, or now here's another myth. It wasn't a checklist of I've got to fit all of these things in here. It yeah. felt like these are things that, one, the author wanted to explore and had really delved into not just hey, this is what I want to do. How do I talk about it? But how would people talk about it? How are, like, I feel like she took time to break these ideas down. I imagine her with like a whiteboard drawing out like mind maps of all these different things about people and how they relate to myth and culture and stuff like that. Same mm-hmm. with generational issues. And, uh, you know, even the beginnings and endings of wars, uh, I just found really I think she did a really good job in conveying that these are the ideas moving forward that we're going to have in High Republic Phase 1. Now, again, or Phase phase 2, rather. Again, like, I'm guessing, I'm hypothesizing that these are things that are going to be carried forward. They have been carried forward already, some in Battle of Jeddah. I think Path of Deceit set up a different aspect of High Republic Phase 2, which is the contrast between the path of the open hand and the Jedi and kind of what we talked about on that uh, episode of like what makes a cult versus what makes a religion. And this book set up the idea of, of organizational structures, the generational impact of it, uh, how we build cultures and myths on the whole. Uh, And those ideas I think are something that they're exploring more and more because they're touched on a little bit in path of deceit, a lot in here, and then moving forward into Battle of Jeddah, they're explored even more, um, both in the macro and the micro. So if 
this is a setup book where it is the Phantom Menace of this phase. Um, I think this might be a book when I come back later that I will enjoy a lot more. But I think kind of the... I don't want to say the nail in the coffin because I do enjoy the book, but kind of the thing that really drove home the fact that like this is not one of those books you write home about is the whole situation with Axel because I feel like I should have cared a lot more about him being with the path of the open hand and everything, and I just didn't. I was like, yeah, that tracks. Um, it it didn't really shock me. Um <clears throat> And I didn't, I wasn't invested in him getting out of that situation like I'm invested in Marta getting out of that situation. Yeah, you know, my thing is, we, we how many times have said about other books, like, oh, it depends how this all ends up and how this all comes together. Um, you know, we said it about Alphabet Squadron for, I think, the second book, you know, it depends where this all goes. And so often it's, it's good, right? And it ends up in a good spot, and we, we like where it's at. Um, Aftermath, though, is one trilogy where it really didn't work. You know, we read the first two books, and it's like, well, let's see how this ties up. Let's see how it wraps up. And it sucked. Um, but I think that I've I've learned, and I try and stay away from a little bit more now. Hey, look, we're going to see how this ends up to judge it. Um I think it's mostly prominent more so with a lot of the TV stuff, right? Zach and I talk all the time, you know, after two or three episodes of a show. And we try not to pass judgment because, you know, it depends what they're going to do with it. And it depends what's going to happen next week. But I think this book, even though I agree, it depends what happens and, and how things all tie in together. At some point, we just need to be able to say, you know what? Wasn't the best book. It does. There's there's not a story that's going to come out in a year that's going to make me oh my god I love this so much it's for me and and it really is I think more we talk about it just a solid three out of five and just right down the line because it's not bad it's just not great yeah I, I, and a book does have to stand on its own right like it, even if we go into you know the aftermath trilogy which you know isn't great you. There's a, a, a hierarchy of, like, which book is the best out of those. Like, that's how we understand something is by comparing and contrasting it to other things. What is it? What is it not? And this one is kind of hurt by not having a lot to contrast it to in Phase 2. Uh, having some mm. big, grandiose stories in Phase 1 to compare it to. And I think, you know, Phase 1 definitely had a direction that it was going and everything. And you can look at the titles of the books and they show you, you know, kind of what the main idea of it is going to be about. And I like that. But in phase two, the names are much more connected. You know, you have Path of Deceit and then later we're going to get Path of Vengeance. You have Convergence, which is one of the adult novels. And then the next one we're getting is Cataclysm, which both start with C's, like alliteration. They are... Definitely planning something here that allows me to give this a little bit of grace in terms of, all right, it might matter more going later in the High Republic, but right now it doesn't matter enough to, you know, change my mind about whether this book is, you know, a four out of five or not. Uh, yeah. it's not, it's not strong enough on its own. And that's something, you know, like that hurts any grouping, you know, is if one of the legs isn't great, you know, like the original trilogy, all three legs are great in the sequel trilogy, ask about anybody. And at least one of the legs is pretty weak for them and it hurts their enjoyment of the sequel trilogy. That might be a different leg for different people, but it doesn't change the fact that it's true. And that's kind of where yeah. we're at with this is this book is fine, um, but it really does feel like a setup book. And it really does feel kind of like you were talking about earlier that I don't know if this is going to be something that we talk about in years in the same way that I think Path of Deceit will look back and go, man, you remember when they had that cult in Star Wars? Yeah. Like that was crazy. 
this we're not going to do that about because I think for two reasons. One, because the characters are not memorable. And two, because I think you really have to dig. And I personally like this, but I know it's not going to be true for all readers. You have to dig really deep in order to find these themes and ideas that are being conveyed. And it takes time. And I don't know if it, many people are going to be willing to invest that kind of time to break down the text. So I guess we'll see. Um Again, not bashing the book. If you haven't read it and you've made it this far. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's good. I would say it's not one where I would recommend someone like, oh, my God, you have to read that before doing anything else in Star Wars. But it's just like, you know, if you need a beach read and you want it to be Star Wars, this one's good. Yeah. Well, and again, like there's always so many different viewpoints on this because I know Drew loved this, this book. Uh, I'm pretty sure Zach read it and said he loved it um, or listened yeah. to it or whatever. But yeah, again, like one of the things that you and I have discovered over the time of doing this podcast together is that we have very similar uh, likes when it comes to books. So we we tend to, you know, Brotherhood, we were in sync, Shadow of the Sith, we were in sync. Um, but if we've learned anything over time, also, there's always going to be somebody else out there that likes something you don't enjoy and loves something that you don't like. So uh, definitely stay tuned hear more from the high republic and where we go from here and the impact of this book going forward because it's going to be a really fun conversation but we do before we close out have to get to our final rankings uh for the book or ratings rather so Lindsay, i got a feeling where you're going to be so i'm going to let you go ahead first i'm going to lock in and sell three out of five all right and i'm actually going to boost mine half a point with a three out of five i think it really stood out to me through our conversation that these ideas and themes are really important uh, to me personally, but also just something that I love exploring in my own life. I love looking at cultures and trying to see what makes them tick. And that's something that this book does. Um, I will probably revisit it purely because I tend to do that with the books I don't like as much more than the books I do like, just because I want to find something uh to love about the books so maybe i'll report back uh when i get some extra time and get to reread the book and it'll change but for right now it's it's out of three out of five so that'll close us up for today uh lindsay if people want to catch up with you talk to you about star wars or try to convince you why convergence is a five out of five where can they do that at <laughs> Um, I'm sure Drew will try to do just that. Um, everyone else, though, can actually connect with me on our Facebook page, uh, Clash and Savers over on Facebook. Just make sure you tag me in any post or comment just to make sure I see it. And I would love to talk about any of these ideas further. And you can find all Clashing Saber stuff on your social medias, uh, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Twitter, or Facebook, by just searching Clashing Sabers. That group that Lindsay mentioned is Star Wars Clashing Sabers. Uh, we have some great conversation going on over there. And speaking of great conversation, our Patreon is turning into something this year. 2023 is the year of the Patreon. Uh, not thanks to me, thanks to Amanda, our newest member. She is going to be working over there. If you want to do that, 100% of the money that you donate uh, through our Patreon goes to buying and shipping books to schools and libraries and kids across the country. So stay tuned. Uh, make sure you click the like, subscribe, all of that. Tell your friends about us. And most importantly, remember, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?